Welcome to Unboxing Queer History, a podcast from Gerber Hart Library and Archives. Gerber Hart is a library and archive with collections that focus on LGBTQ culture and history of Chicago and the Midwest. Today, we delve into the largest collection that lives at the Gerber Hart Archives, belonging to William Kelly, an activist that spanned multiple generations and decades, whose collection is as large as, well, an entire wall. That means it is Gerber Hart's cornerstone collection. He knew everybody since, you know, time began. Jen, Hannah, and I went to explore to show you the vastness of this incredible collection. How many boxes total? There's a lot. I don't actually know. I should look up the square footage, but it came from three storage units. You're looking at a whole wall, basically. So a whole wall and a half. Literature, flyers, pamphlets, and true miscellaneous. Ooh, that could be fun. That could be good. Okay, so this, what's up top? It's always the box that's the most difficult to get to. I feel like, <laughs> no matter what. Oh, antique gay files. That's <laughs> see, you've got the eye. I feel like all That's right, like out the top. Yeah, I think of course. All right, I'll get the ladder. No, no, I'm totally antique. kidding. No, I, was just, I okay. think antique gay files. We gotta go for that. Who exactly was Bill Kelly? William B. Kelly was a lawyer and an activist. There aren't many LGBTQ activists who stayed as consistently engaged in community activism as he did. He was part of the Mattachine Midwest chapter and wrote for and edited its newsletter. He helped organize the first National Gay and Lesbian Conference in 1966, the North American Conference of Homophile Organizations. He co-founded the Chicago Gay Crusader newspaper, attended the first White House gay rights meeting in 1977 under the Carter administration. This is just to name a few. In Chicago, he was a critical player in numerous organizations as a founder, member and often leader, and his legacy continues the work today. He passed away in 2015, which marked 50 years of activism. Carrie Barnett was the board president at the time that Gerberhart acquired Bill Kelly's collection, and Jen was one of the volunteers who assisted in going to get this massive collection. We went to all the different... Uh... Well, Jen, you went there. We went to the different um, storage areas. There were two storage rooms in the place on Foster. And then there was that just scary, scary filthy, one, the filthy, <laughs> dirty one on Clark Street, just north of uh, of Montrose, you know, with his uh, opera cape in a box. Remember that? And uh, so I, re- I remember I remember climbing, <laughs> climbing up the boxes to get them down. And there was just dirt everywhere. I was like, I'm going to get spiders falling on me. But I got a great picture of Carrie and I (laughs) holding up our hands that are just almost just covered in dirt. Just, you know, we we were filthy. But, uh, and it was hot. It was, that was the one that wasn't air conditioned, right? (laughs) Right. Oh God, that was. (laughs) So like, um, but sweat and dirt everywhere. But it was incredible. I mean, how many boxes? We moved. Because then it all got put in one storage unit. We moved it to one storage room uh, unit that was uh, climate controlled, um, and there were 500 boxes. Were there more than 500 boxes? We love to answer the question, why is an archive like this so crucial? What does it mean to have these things now to people today, not just to historians, but to queer history as a whole? John D'Amelio, who you've met already, explains, and also why being a pack rat 
In the case of archiving a life is a virtue. Through his collection, we are made aware of where we come from and where we are headed. Here's John. William Kelly was a very important and unusual activist in Chicago. And one of the things that makes him particularly unusual in the history of activism is that, you know, there was some activism before the Stonewall Uprising and the birth of a liberation movement at the beginning of the 70s. There were organizations like the Mattachine Society and the Daughters of Belitis, things like that. Most of those activists, they weren't a large number, but most of the activists from the 50s and 60s are of this older generation, and they didn't make the transition to activism in the 70s and 80s because it seemed too radical to them. And to the younger activists, they seemed too straight-laced and, you know, uh, internalized oppression and all of that. Bill Kelly makes the transition. He was active in the Mattachine Society in the mid, early to mid-60s. Uh, when gay liberation uh, appears, he becomes a member of the Chicago Gay Alliance, which was one of the first post-Stonewall groups. Um, he also um, was doing legal work as a researcher for uh, community-based radical lawyers in town. At a certain point, he becomes, he decides to go to law school and becomes a lawyer. And as a lawyer, that gives him the capacity to take on certain things that, you know, us ordinary folk can't do because, you know, he can take on court cases and defend people and things like that. So he was an activist in so many ways, forming he was involved with almost all of the significant organizations in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. The other thing about him that makes him quite unusual and unique is that he is what colloquially gets described as a pack rat. He collected and saved every piece of paper that passed anywhere near him. And so as an example of what I mean by this, we had talked about the Transvestite Information Service and the Transvestite Legal Committee. The reason I know about them is because in the Bill Kelly papers, there are folders of the newsletters of the Transvestite Legal Committee and the newsletters of the Transvestite Information Service. So Bill Kelly's collection doesn't just leave behind a record of what Bill Kelly did, but it also leaves behind a record of almost anything that was going on anywhere near him because he saved everything. And the variety of his experience is tremendous. So that he was involved with the Chicago Gay Alliance, which had, which was existed at the same time as the Transvestite Legal Committee, and they cooperated on different demonstrations, okay? But he also, because he was a prominent activist, he also went to Washington, D.C. in 1977 for the first meeting of gay and lesbian activists 
with a member of the White House staff. Bill Kelly was involved from the top down, from, you know, in so many different ways with community activism. Because Bill hadn't decided in advance of his passing what he was going to do. So it really was left up to his surviving partner, who was considering a range of possibilities. Because a collection like that now, as opposed to the way it would have been looked at 40 or 50 years ago, now it was considered, wow, this is really worth having. So, uh, and fortunately, he decided it's a treasure that... Uh, his surviving partner decided to donate all the materials, well, save, and then donate all the materials to Gerber Hart. I think that his collection is so important because he always said people don't learn from history. We always repeat the same history, make the same mistake over and over again. My name is Chen Wei. I'm a partner of Bill Kelly. Uh, we've been together for over 36 years. We were living with his collections all these years until after he died uh, and to donate it to Gerber High Library. I was in Chicago for over 40 years, actually. I came here in 1973. And then I met Bill in 1979. And you guys were wondering where I met Bill. <laughs> I met him in the bar at three o'clock in the morning when I was there with friends. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how we met. <laughs> he had glasses and a very long, thick sideburn. And he was very young then, so he was very thin. <laughs> so we have a very rich life. In the beginning, it was a struggle because in the beginning, he's he was very involved in every organization that you can think of. And some, many of them, not necessarily long term. He would go in and help them do the bylaws, you know, uh, to, to, to apply for any kind of legal status and all those kind of things. And so because of that, we hardly see each other most of the time until he started going to law school and he was already in his 40s by then. And then uh, he started to cut back on those organization involvement because of law school and all that. So we're able to spend more time together. And then after the law school, uh, then we, we were able to start traveling more because of that. So Bill was a very gentle person. He, he is not afraid of conf confrontation when he is provoked, but he doesn't like to argue. He likes to debate, to argue issues and things like that, but not argue and fight like in a, in a, in a violent way. You know, because he's not that kind of person. He's very gentle and he's very loyal. I'm not saying it because I'm biased, but he's very, he was very articulate. 
he can take the most complex issues and explain it to me in a layman's term that I can understand. <laughs> That's what's so great about him because some people can go on and go on and go on, and then you don't understand what, what they're saying at the end of the day. It's like, what was that? <laughs> but not Bill Kelly. He was able to explain things in a very clear and precise manner. I remember talking to you and you said that Bill kept everything, you know, like he had letters from, from high school that he had written. So I don't know. Oh my can, God. can you talk about that and what it was like living with all of that collected information? What was that like? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. <laughs> piles and piles of paper and boxes and boxes of paper. You know, it goes in the garage. It's a good thing that we had a three-car garage. We have boxes and boxes and boxes of content. Went through it. And this was at home. We had three storage lockers. And then his study is also filled with boxes from floor to ceilings. And some of them date back to when he was in high school. So to be honest with you, I know a little bit more about Bill Kelly after he died and when he was alive, because like I said, he never really volunteered information. And maybe he's the kind of person he'll get involved in it and then he doesn't talk about it anymore because he moved on to the next project, you know, and next event, the kind of thing. So, and he never also liked to, uh, how do I say it? Um, both about what he has done to other people. You know, he never really talked about it unless people ask him. Uh, some people will, will be out there, kind of, oh, I did this and I did that. You know, I was there, you know, that kind of thing. Not Bill Kelly, he never did. He never did. And uh, we went to demonstrations. We, so it was alive that enriched me to have all those information on the history preserved. That's the key thing, to preserve the history. We were able to get it all done. And all the volunteer was so hardworking, um, moving boxes at a speed like you wouldn't believe, seriously. <laughs> so I felt good because of that, because I felt like, okay, everybody's pitching in into make this happen. So uh, because of that, I believe that when it went to Gerhard, over time, there'll be enough people to help to process all the paper and catalog it and eventually put it online. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't go for the big museum or library. They never see the light of days and you can't even access it because they haven't processed it. They kept it just for the sake of keeping it, keeping it because it's history. So, and I don't want that to happen to do Kelly's papers or information because it's so critical. People who are able to, you know, research and find out information about certain things, certain subjects that they're interested in. Carrie Barnett was very convincing in terms of how important it is to Gerberhardt to have Bill Kelly's collection because it will be a cornerstone for Gerberhardt. 
The idea that it could end up in a warehouse somewhere and not given the absolute honor and love that it deserved and not give it the exposure to as many people who wanted to see it, that would have been a travesty. There's the White House meeting. That one might be interesting. All right, there we go. Box pulled out. They went to the Carter administration. They met with other people to talk about gay rights, essentially. The White House, I believe it was the first, yeah, first uh, meeting at the White House about gay rights. He okay. saved everything. So we've got a boarding pass. We've got his receipts. Oh my gosh, he did save everything. The cash credit, paid in advance. The Mayflower, they stayed at the Mayflower Hotel. It's March 26, 1977. Openly gay citizens met for the first time with a presidential assistant in the White House. I just love that everything is hand... Oh, there's Mattachine Midwest. Oh my God, this is my favorite. Because Valerie Taylor won this. February 6, 1975, John Damien was fired from his job as a racing steward on the Ontario Racing Commission. Only reason he was giving, given his homosexuality, nothing else. And he'd worked there for 20 years. <gasps> So this is definitely a pamphlet to kind of inform people and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully engage others and kind of standing up against this. Armed forces for her lesbianism. Our special guest at the conference will be Barbara Thornborough, who was recently discharged from the armed forces oh, for her lesbianism. Now. what I was... <laughs> <laughs> I thought she had, like, she armed, armed forces, forces of lesbians. <laughs> To all the listeners out there, old and young and everyone in between, please treat your flyers, your meeting notes, your newsletters, your journals, your photos as the precious and pivotal objects that they are. You never know how critical they will be to future generations looking to learn about us, about queer life, and how far we've come and where we are still headed. Thank you, John, Chen, Carrie, Jen, and Hannah for your generosity in making this episode possible. Unboxing Queer History is co-created by me, Ari Mejia, Jen Dentel, and Aaron Bell. Theme music by Danny Robles. This episode was produced by me, Ari Mejia, with Hannah Vitti. Special thanks to Rails for making this podcast possible. Unboxing Queer History is funded by a Rails My Library Is grant. You can find this episode and others at gerberhart.org and wherever you listen to podcasts. 